Sup, freaks, it's your boy Marty here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. The immense pleasure of sitting down with a longtime Bitcoin friend, Harry Sudik. Can't believe it took us this long to sit down and actually record a conversation. We've had so many great conversations over the years, so I'm happy we finally got one on the record. And this is one of my favorite I've had in a while. We talk about Bitcoin and energy. Uh, the transition from the Fed window to distribute and produce money to the Bitcoin mining pool layer to distribute and produce money. Fascinating conversation. That's all I'll say. This episode is brought to you by our good friends at the motherfucking Cash App. And excuse me, I'm drooling right now. Went to the dentist earlier, got some work done. They novocaine me up. My lips, like, I, I, don't, I may be drooling right now, so f- forgive me if... My speech is is worse than it typically is because it's pretty bad already. Where were we? Cash App. Yeah, Cash App's helping you stack sats, send sats, receive sats, and sell sats if you so please. Remember, if you sell sats, it's like tax implications, so it's just better to stack sats and hodl stacks. Hodl your stacked sats. We're saying sats, 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 sats because sats are the standard in the app. What is a sat, you may ask? Like, I, I thought this was like, I thought you could buy Bitcoin on the cash app. That's exactly what you're doing. Sats, a satoshi, or a sat, is the smallest denomination of a Bitcoin. There are 100 million sats in one Bitcoin. So instead of buying fractions of Bitcoin, you're buying whole sats. Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions if you're a big baller. Cash App makes this easy. You can DCA in the sats by daily, weekly, bi-weekly. Set it and forget it. Just start stacking in the background so you don't have to think about it. You don't have to stress about it. It takes the stress out of the stacking. Cash App does that for you. On top of that, they have their boost program. Sometimes you can get sats back. They have a Bitcoin boost that allows you to go shop somewhere anywhere visas accepted. And you shop, you pay for your goods, and you get some sats back, a percentage of that purchase gets returned to you in sats up to a certain limit. Cash App can also be your bank account. You're offering account numbers and routing numbers for you freaks so you can get your paychecks direct deposited into the app. Just create a whole new bank there. Shout out to Cash App. Helping to stack sats. 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 Make sure you use the code stacking sats. That's S T A C K I N G S A T S when you download the Cash App. You're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. It's Owls Lacrosse. Enjoy this rip. I certainly did. If you guys are liking the podcast, give us a like, a subscribe, maybe a rating, a review. It goes a long way. Trying to get uh, as much quality Bitcoin information out to to newbies as possible. We like to cut through the the noise here at TFTC. Get to the signal. I have a newsletter, a newsletter, a newsletter that I write daily. Marty's bent. You can go to tftc.io and check that out. Sign up. You can subscribe to that and get some Bitcoin information, some macroeconomic information some liberty in the digital age information sent directly to your inbox. been writing it for quite a while now, coming up on four years. It's hard to believe. People seem to like it. 
Enjoy this episode. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your life. Be happy. Life is good. Dickie! You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. What is up, freaks? Second recording of the day. Very excited for this one. I'm sitting down with somebody, a Bitcoiner, a very strong Bitcoiner, who I miss having breakfast with. Harry Sadek, VP of Strategy at Grid Systems. How the hell are you doing? Marty, it's uh it's what it's such a pleasure to sit down with another fellow miner. <laughs> How do we end up here? We went from shooting the shit. <laughs> <laughs> in diners and in, in the Lower East Side about what we wanted to do to, to ending up in the mining industry. Well, I'll I'll tell you I'll tell you a quick uh, a quick story about what that's felt like for me. Um where, you know, I, I got the I got the bug, you know, I'm I'm a financial services kind of guy background. That that whole that whole um education is where I came up and I know I know similar to you. Um and you know, didn't know sort of what my what my Bitcoin role was going to be. Knew I needed it. Knew I was obsessed. You know, couldn't stop reading. Couldn't stop focusing on it. But didn't know where my place in the industry was going to be. Um, and really, kind of fell down the mining rabbit hole by accident. It was not. It was not planned. You know, I, I kind of felt that that you know something was sick in the tech sector more broadly and and you know i came out of a fintech but but you know valuations were running so far ahead this was a little before we work blew up um and i just had this you know had this sort of the same way that we feel the the sort of gut sickness about things in our society i felt that around tech valuations um and just and just knew that what i did had to have revenues profits business fundamentals, that these were things that I, um, I needed to discover as part of my Bitcoin journey. Um, and it turns out that mining was the perfect place to, to gravitate back towards those things. Yeah, because, gosh, when did we first meet in New York? Was it 2017, 2018? It, it, it was. It was, um, it was pr right before Bitcoin cracked 3K. Yeah, yeah, it was right before the run-up. I was at Barstool, because I remember the first time we met, it was like in Flatiron, like right around the Barstool offices. Yeah, and you were working on like a, a data product for funds back then, correct? Yeah, so I, exactly. So, so you know, worked at a fintech uh, halfway through college, through college, two years after graduation. And we, you know, we worked with 150 hedge funds that, you know, lots of folks have heard of. Some of them have been in the news recently. Um and, you know, and basically we built like, like back in middle office optimization stuff. So super not sexy, you know, data trade processing optimization software caught the Bitcoin bug, seeing what these guys were doing. And, and kind of, this was another market that they could go play in, 
you know, I, I like to think that that was when I was sort of Bitcoin curious, but not a Bitcoiner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I then, remember, I remember and then vividly. Like, we met at the Ace, we met at the Ace Hotel and we we had okay. co- we had coffee standing up um, in the coffee shop in the Ace Hotel in Flatiron. Exactly, I remember, and it was and it was freezing, right? Um, was no and way. and you you were kind enough to just like come and talk to me for an hour, and Pierre was kind enough. Pierre Rochard was kind enough to just like have breakfast with me and and responded to my cold DMs. <laughs> well, that was the beauty of New York, man. That's the one thing I miss about New York is being able to do stuff like that, like sneak out. I was, I was, I'm, if anybody from Barstool's listening, I was such a bad employee. I was just sneaking out in the middle of the day to have hour long coffee meetings about Bitcoin, like completely unrelated to work. But <laughs> well, well, and then, and then, you know, soon after that, you were, you just took those meetings and started recording them, <laughs> right? <laughs> off hours, off hours using their equipment. Thank you, Dave Portnoy. Please, uh, please don't like try and like. Pre, uh, prima nocte the podcast and bringing into your to your umbrella if it gets too popular but call him daddy daddy hey daddy uh, <laughs> it's uh no it's funny to see how far we go because i didn't know i'd get in the mining industry then like i know i was writing the newsletter at the podcast working at barstool yeah it wasn't um until like eight months later that i got introduced to the team at great american mining like how did you fall not fall into it. How'd you get hooked up with the guys at grid? So, I mean, this is, this is one of those like in the right place at the right time, small industry. And, and, you know, for, for the freaks, like, Oh, a huge debt of gratitude to Mike Dudas. Met our founder, met our founder and CEO in, in the blocks telegram group. Oh, boss. Hold DM Tim. Saw, like saw him, he, he jumped in, Trey Kelly, our, our founder and CEO, jumped in with like these two long posts and was like asking a couple questions about mining. And I'd randomly put together some like machine level analysis and was just like, like, like dicking around on a spreadsheet with like all the different, you know, the, I think the S15s had just come out and I wanted to see how profitable they were. So I like put together a little spreadsheet and then wanted to test them on some Bitcoin price sensitivity. So I, I messaged him. I was like, hey, I put this thing together. Like, you could probably use it. And just flipped him a spreadsheet. And he was like, oh, this is good. Let's talk. Awesome. So we we similarly, like, went and grabbed coffee. He, you know, had just had kid, you know, kid number one, started a business, w- you know, was figuring it out. And, you know, I was thinking about, you know, do I want to go do my own thing? Do I want to go see if, if I can kind of play in the hedge fund space a little more? Uh, you know, in, in a more entrepreneurial way and, you know, two breakfasts with him later, uh, joined as Grid's first employee and was like fully bought in mining all in, like, we're going to build a dominant North American mining entity. We're going to bring a ton of hash power online here. You know, the, the transaction finality and hard cap supply of Bitcoin are going to be in the strongest possible hands that we can, that we can build. Boss. Yeah. It's it's incredible to see like the trajectory from that first coffee meeting. And like we we met, we would meet for breakfast what like once every few months and Yeah, that's few, what, yeah like, three three, four, five times a year. Yeah, one of my favorite Bitcoiners like have conversations because that's what's so impressive about you personally to me at least is there's the the uh range of, of 
topics that we could talk about, whether it be Fed policy, what's going on in the hedge fund world, what's going on in the mining world, what's going on at the Bitcoin development level, the data aspect of it. It's just like a never ending rabbit hole, which is why I'm pumped that we're finally here doing this podcast because I can see it going in, in many directions. Like I said, before we hit record, we get some Fed bashing in, some Bitcoin mining talk in, some uh, Bitcoin mining and energy talk in, and, and uh, this is going to go, um, uh, this is going to be a cathartic conversation because uh, it's going to be like we're at breakfast again and there's exactly i'm i miss you i miss you it's been a long time too. you know you know separated by screens right uh god i don't know if i'll be back in new york though i don't i don't think i will and like now that i have a child i don't think new york's conducive for for that considering the lockdowns and the, the space the bang for your buck that you get or the lack of bang for buck that you get in the city in terms of space yeah i feel my i feel my wick burning down frankly yeah yeah, yeah it's a shame it's a shame because that was the beauty of new york just being able to randomly reach out to very smart people be like hey let's talk get coffee get to know each other and like get to learn from each other like i've been bouncing ideas off of you for years now and it sucks that we can't we can't meet in person due to the nature of what's going on but so much to talk about. Let's stay on grid though. Like how would you describe grid? We can't get too specific, but I'm, I'm very excited about what you guys are doing. Cause you, you have very, we're not, we're not competitors, right? You're focused on renewables. I'm focused on flare gas. So this is like, we can have like a nice powwow here. Um, and, and talk about different aspects of the Bitcoin mining world, North America and how like it's, it's hacking the energy sector from all sides and is actually good for for the energy sector, the environment, and the Bitcoin network overall. Yeah, well, so so grid infrastructure is fundamentally an infrastructure business, and you know we we call ourselves that, you know, very very specifically, and what that means is that we see an opportunity for the American industrial landscape to change via market forces at this, at this beautiful inflection point um, that we think that we can, we can really kind of sit hip to hip with a bunch of different players um, in the space uh, and do something special, um, aggressive and really big. So, you know, fundamentally, you know, we, we understand the opportunity in front of us around Bitcoin mining and the monetization of energy. And so, you know, we're a team, you know, when, when I, you know, when, when you, when you think about a young company, it really is about sort of the, the personalities and the talents um, of that young, young, small team. Um, so, you know, I have to give a, a tremendous amount of credit to, to Trey, to recruiting the folks that we have. Um, and then just generally to the guys, you know, across the board. Uh, and really it's about, you know, when I, when I got into Bitcoin, I was obsessed with it be- First, because there were so many things that I knew that I was an amateur at that I needed to get better at. And and the second time I had that experience was when I got into mining, which is you had to all of a sudden get smart on the 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 power grid, electrical engineering, cybersecurity, construction and construction management, and all of these different things, the same way that that you have to get into it deep in all these ways around Bitcoin, mining takes you even further. Um, and so, you know, what do we do? Our CTO 
formerly ran a cybersecurity company. You know, Trey worked at OpenDNS, you know, earlier. We hired, we hired folks from, you know, local power utilities. We hired electrical engineers and took this sort of really wide ranging talent set and said, like, how do we forge these, these disparate things into the infrastructure businesses of the future? Um, and the way that that works, you know, first and foremost is we take this emergent technology and we wed it to one of the oldest things that society advances through, which is energy density and energy production. So fundamentally, we monetize energy by mining Bitcoin. Uh, we think that Bitcoin is the most, you know, the most exciting asset on the planet um, and that it'll, it opens the door to incredibly creative structures around renewable energy, the grid broadly, grid with one eye, um, uh, and, uh, and, and really, you know, sets us up and sort of sets um, the stage for a next level energy infrastructure business, which, you know, which we're going to be. Um, and so we focused on renewables and working hip to hip with generation in addition to utilities, because we think that there's, um, I don't want to say overproduction because the, the right now systems aren't being overproduced. They're just being over optimized around redundancy rather than utilization in the energy, in the energy markets broadly. So, you know, taking a step back, the way that energy generation and transmission works is you generate a lot of energy at one place and then you got to move it all over the place so that we can, you know, turn our air conditioners on. And so, when you move energy over a distance, you degrade how much energy can get delivered at the far point. So there's a loss factor along the transmission line. And entropy. And so, ex exactly. Um, and so the grid is, is, um, is incentivized to overproduce because you're transmitting it far, you know, far away. You need a level of redundancy contractually or regulatorily. And so the energy producer is incentivized to produce a lot of energy. The energy consumer is incentivized to consume, you know, less or little because they're paying dollars for it. And it, and it means that there's this misalignment of incentives around production and consumption. In steps, the Bitcoin miner and the Bitcoin miner functions as a, as a load balancer where they're able to say, you know, as long as you're willing to price my power advantageously, I'm willing to buy it with interruptibility. And so you're able to trade interruptibility in exchange for price and help some of this overproduced energy get monetized on the one hand, but not affect the, the strength of the redundancy in the energy network. So that's kind of the academic definition. What that lets us do is align really closely with some of these renewable projects that are out there that struggle to make market sense without government subsidy and we help them make a lot of market sense without government subsidy and so we we provide a a, a free market bootstrapping mechanism for renewable projects to either enhance existing operations or justify net new operations and that's where i get really excited where you know what i want to what i want to do is walk into an energy executive's office and say you should green light building another 100 megawatts of hydro because we're going to help you make that economically viable for the lifetime of the asset because bitcoin is going to, is going to unlock the future of energy production. And so it's, those are the conversations that fire me up. 
Yeah. No, particularly like the fact that this is all market driven. You don't need subsidies. You don't need the government to step in and try to allocate capital to force a certain outcome. Like the market being driven by Bitcoin miners looking for low cost, abundant energy sources is is helping secure these systems and, and overall like secure the grid system, which is arguably very weak right now and very vulnerable. Correct. Extremely, extremely. So I think, you know, I think that, you know, we, we as a, we as a nation um, have an opportunity to, to make strong investments in the future of energy production and energy density. And so this is, this is something that, you know, that I think gets, uh, doesn't get enough press. I think there's a lot of press around. We need to, you know, we need to become greener and consume less and, and X, Y, and Z. But if you look over, over the history of civilization and you look at, you know, what I think of as key civilization health markers, which are how, what is the nutrition density of the food that the population is eating? What is the infant mortality rate? What is the education per capita? What is the healthcare per capita? All of these kind of, you know, if, if I were to, if I were to give a blood test to a country and I wanted to look for what were the health markers, that whole laundry list, all of those improve with energy density per capita. And so what that says to me is we need to become a nation of quality of life maximalists, not consumption minimalists. Yes. And this is it's such a shame how, how far the, the conversation and the narrative has gotten from where it probably should be, which is what you just described, right? Like everybody, yes, pollution and polluting the atmosphere is terrible. I, no one is going to deny that. Nobody's going to like say like, ah, oh, we shouldn't be pumping methane into the atmosphere. It's probably bad at the end of the day. Like, obviously like we should not be, we should be aiming to reduce that as much as possible. Um, but like the focus on le- uh, reducing consumption and not on being more efficient is something that drives me crazy. Like efficiency should be, priority number one before you like maybe after you become extremely efficient then you can begin to have the the reduced consumption conversation but until then i don't understand why we're not focusing on efficiency well and and if you look at the if you look at the long arc of history the only times that we make real progress are when we innovate into the future not when we you know nobody nobody who got electricity wired and i'm and i'm totally i'm totally stealing this from michael saylor's interview recently, but nobody who had running water or electricity installed in their house said, yeah, let's dial that back. I don't, I don't think, I don't think we need that, you know, because you look back at, at, you know, John D Rockefeller was the richest man on the planet and, and, you know, pardon my language, but he shit in the woods. He had an outhouse, right? Like richest man on the planet had a lower quality of life than, than nine, than 90% of Americans. That asshole never took a shower. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and and so you know, I, I find it you know really um, really disheartening when when the focus is not you know innovating into abundance um, as sort of a baseline core societal tenet. Where you know you know what I would love to see is a huge investment in nuclear technology, a huge investment in you know hydroelectric production. You know, it, it, the, the, the idea that we're going to reduce consumption into the future 
is untenable. So, so we need to make the, you know, the bold investment in the technologies, you know, that will leapfrog us into this abundant state. Yeah. And again, that's like the beauty of Bitcoin it incentivizes it. Right. And it, I mean, so, so from our perspective in the fossil fuel, uh, area of the, the energy sector, uh, what we're doing at GAM, like that is like the, the, opportunity to be more efficient with the waste gas is unfathomable sometimes you sit down you just look at the 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 amount of gas that's being that's oozing from the earth in these oil oil fields it's like holy shit like like imagine if we could harness all that and like bitcoin finally makes it possible and it's and it's we believe it's gonna for what we're doing specifically gonna help shift this conversation, especially for the oil and gas industry, which has just been plagued with terrible PR and, and they've been on the defensive for decades now. I mean, it, arguably, like they should be. They are. The, the oil spills are not good. The flaring is something that's very visible and, and you're literally just lighting economic potential on fire. It's like, how do we solve this problem? Not until Bitcoin existed was this problem really solvable at scale. And it's just... Very exciting to be like on the front lines of this, as I'm sure you're seeing it as well on the renewable side. But like, we finally have something that can help turn the tides of this conversation, this narrative, back to to a sensible point. Like, hey, all right, like we don't have to go crazy here. We we can figure this out and try to be as efficient as possible. Which we're not there yet. We can get there. We have some work to do on all sides of of the fence like we're, we're still educating producers producers are still getting comfortable with bitcoin it gets easier as the price is going up but it's still an uphill battle and i guess that's what i'm interested to see from your end like it's with the execs that you're talking to how is that bitcoin education um sort of battle going for you yeah um it's a great question and and you know i want to break it into sort of two two main tracks the first is dealing with Bitcoin miners and getting comfortable with Bitcoin, the asset. So we're really, really excited about what we're able to do, getting energy executives and utility executives comfortable with us as a Bitcoin miner. We've had a ton of, a ton of success. You know, we're operating in multiple jurisdictions. It, you know, all of that process has been you know, one of the great pleasures of the last few years. Uh, so that's number one. And, and, and it's important to, to get a little bit of historical context there as well. You know, in, in 20, you know, really 2017, 2018, there were a lot of, of you know, not, I don't want to say fly by night, but there were a lot of um, starry eyed operators who, who thought they were going to build, you know, massive, you know, they wouldn't get out of bed for less than 100 megawatts and to, you know, to give, to give, you know, the freaks a sense of what 100 megawatts looks like, you know, imagine, imagine, you know, 15 hospital campuses, <laughs> you know, it, it's enough power to, it's enough power to, to, you know, to make, you know, uh, multiple, you know, New York City skyscraper, it's, it's a massive amount of energy. Um, and so these folks were coming into utility, fo you know, utility CEOs or, or energy or energy generation executives offices and saying, I need 100 megawatts, and I need it in 90 days. And that's a crazy ask. Um, and then, you know, and then Bitcoin went from 19.5 to 12.5 and then from 12.5 to 8,500 and then from 8,500 to 3,000. 
those op those folks asking for all that power stopped answering the phone. We didn't go in there asking for 100 megawatts. You know, we went in there and said, we want five. And we want to show you we know what we're doing. And we want to crawl, and then we want to walk, and then we want to run. And we want to build a, you know, we want to build a 50-year business here. You know, that that's the point. You know, we don't care if Bitcoin's at 20,000 or 3,000. We want to we want to build the same damn thing. And so from from that standpoint, you know, getting some of these energy folks kind of open to working with a Bitcoin company um, was was awesome. It was really successful. And, and you know, it's, it's important, to, you know, for you and I to remember, because I think we live in our sort of, heart, you know, more insulated sort of good actor Bitcoiner bubble to remember that, like, this is a high octane industry full of high, you know, high octane operators. And, you know, as much as those folks find ways to make money some of the time, they find ways to blow themselves up a lot of the rest of the time. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to look back in retrospect two years from now and <laughs> see some of the decisions <laughs> that are being made out there and, and how they turn out. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, so I think <laughs> I think that like the education efforts on what is it like to work with a Bitcoin company have been great. Getting a lot of these traditional folks excited about Bitcoin is much more challenging. You know, yeah. what, where I think we've been able to get to is, and, and there's a few of them that we work super closely with, you know, a few of them, you know, it's the, it's the classic story of, of what happened on wall street up until about a year ago, which is some of the folks were really excited, owned it personally, investing in it personally, not ready to do it as a firm. So I think that we're basically lagging last cycle one cycle in the energy side. So I'm seeing executives tell you know, texting me and emailing me when, when price is up or they'll send me a research report or they'll, or, you know, and, and they're pumped. Um, and they're asking questions, you know, and, and that's really encouraging. And so I'd expect two, three, four years lagged from forward from now, we start to see them at the firm level ready to get involved directly. But, you know, but I think the big the big jump between last cycle and this cycle is that they are not afraid to have a Bitcoin focused company as a counterparty. They're not ready to be a Bitcoin focused company themselves. Yeah, right. Like bringing it on their balance sheet and being exposed to that risk and. Like on the mining side, too, you got to think for, for a lot of people, it's like, all right, Bitcoin's risky enough. Like getting into Bitcoin mining, that just adds a whole another layer of risk. Acquiring and ex acquiring the head hardware, executing the the installation and uh, upkeep and uptime. Most importantly of of this hardware, you're holding a physical option on future Bitcoin, right? And it could get drowned out or catch on fire, literally. Um, and you got to protect those yeah. options and and make sure they're performing uh, as as best and as often as possible. It's uh, it's an insane like execution is key, and it is uh, it is stressful like thinking about it and, and and making sure that your systems are operating so that you can execute consistently, uh, and to the level that you need to to remain profitable and to make sure that you're getting the most value out of those physical Bitcoin options that you can. Yeah, I mean the the. The anecdote that I tell when when folks ask about sort of our risk management perspective is 
I had never plugged Bitcoin 40,000 into a model until it actually happened. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. my spreadsheets, my spreadsheets look at Bitcoin 3000 and 5000 a lot more than they look at Bitcoin, you know, double digit thousands, let alone 30, 40,000. Yes. Make your models as conservative as possible to set expectations because it is risky it is stressful and uh, I don't want to say fickle, but like you're you're at the whims of many factors, whether it be more hash rate coming on from other areas of the world. Uh, again, like execution of the actual operation like do you have like a fire happened do you have a bunch of miners go down the you could get a bad batch of miners and a bit main particularly the s15 series sent out some batches at what like a 33 percent failure rate which is untenable for for like higher than that in some regards uh in some aspects um or so, some instances excuse me um there's so many variables to take in into into consideration and it's a ruthless, ruthless competition. Um, well, and, like, and that's what, that's what gets me so fired up is like, right. like on, like, you know, I, I read, there's a great, there's a great Paul Graham essay um, about, about how to design engineering decisions in startups um, that I think fits this really well. It's a mental model we use all the time, which is do the harder thing. Every time you face a fork in the road, pick the harder fork because that's another choice that your competition will not make. It's, uh, and good. And we, you know, we we basically, you know, we think, you know, we think about we think about this at a couple of levels. So, like, we don't host other people's machines. We just don't do that. We're here to mine Bitcoin for ourselves. We bring a lot of the design and fabrication work in house. We, you know, we we work we work really closely with a couple of of contractors and do the vast majority ourselves. We build our network ourselves. We build our cybersecurity tools ourselves. We build our monitoring and repair and maintenance function ourselves. Like, be, you know, building in layer after layer after layer of vertical integration, at the end of the day is how we capture more margin and more margin and more margin and have a larger moat against downside risk, downside risk, downside risk. So, you know, we have an internal rule, which is number one, don't die. Every decision we make should help us not die. And as long as we approach the whole business and the whole world from that sort of first principle, we might do all right. No, I, we like we are wavelengths here. What's going on again? Like we want to control <laughs> everything that we can that's going on in our boxes. So coming down, it's like building our own PDUs writing the software that allows us to interact with those PDUs and then the miners by extension building the the airflow systems that that allow us to push the heat out um, of the containers you want like is that that's what helps you reduce that risk right if you know exactly what's going on you're not dependent on a third party providing you something and you don't have to call somebody up and be like oh what the hell happened it's like if you fuck up it's on you but if you fuck up, you probably have a better idea of actually what's going on and how to mitigate. Trusted third parties are security holes. <laughs> right? It, it applies to many aspects of, of the Bitcoin network. It's, uh, exactly. It's fun too, man. It's a lot of fun. Like For me, at least, uh, I get just fascinated by the physical nature of everything. Like I tweeted out this morning, like most people, like I don't even think about altcoins anymore. We'll definitely shit on this for a while, but like, 
people very, very, very much underestimate the physical nature of these blockchain systems. Like you need physical infrastructure to make this stuff work. And I see it firsthand, like what we're doing, Great American Mining, what you're doing at Grid. Like we're building things. We're building things on American soil. It just feels fucking good, doesn't it's it? It's bricks and sticks. Right? You know, it feel and, good? and it, it gives me... It, it feels so, it feels so good. It, it's one of the most exciting parts of the business, you know. Certainly for all of us, and and you know, a big piece, a big piece of our culture is like my, new miners getting delivered. The entire company flies to the site or drives to the site and plugs them in. Those things do not stay in boxes. No, no downtime. You know, every every hash every hash second available is 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 achieved. Um, and there is, you know, you know, all that stuff, no job too small. And, 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 you know, it's a, it's a cultural thing. This is, this is the proof of work way. Um, cause you get the visibility and the insight into each of those little efforts and those little optimizations. Uh, and it, it's, it's ridiculously rewarding. I'm, you know, I'm endlessly grateful for the opportunity to work on this. Um, you know, and grateful to Bitcoin for, for creating a, a system that has, you know, a, an, an entrepreneurial opportunity like this within it. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel grateful every day to be able to do what we're doing at Great American Miami, be able to have conversations like this on a podcast and support myself and my family. It's like, I feel like one of the luckiest motherfuckers in the world. It's insane. And yeah. So what does this look like? Right now we're, we're at the cusp of this, like hash rate on North American soil. In your mind, what does it look like at scale? Like when... Like, yeah, so I think there's a couple there's a couple layers to scale. The f- the first one is like, you know, I think that the we need we need to basically make the U.S. the premier destination for hash. Um, and I think we've got a couple of really exciting building blocks and a couple of things that we'll need to solve along the way. Um, I think that we have a massive abundance of energy here in a way where we can compete with anything globally. You know, I think I think the ener- the energy here can power a huge amount of Bitcoin hash, um, and 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 should not be a blocker, but neither in in terms of volume or price. The next component is is we've got the you know we've, and 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 you know it's it's not very it's not very um, anarcho capitalist of me to say, but we've got the best damn court system in the world. And, <laughs> I wasn't and like, expecting that. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, and it, and it really matters. It really matters that like your like asset forfeiture is not a thing here, and that you know the that you know property rights are enforced you know to a significant significant degree, um, and so having that level of certainty given the nature of the capex required to to scale these businesses um, is is key when you think about how you're going to fund that growth. I think attracting dollars here to build, you know, the infrastructure layers of, of the future of money um, is going to be easier than deploying in in Inner Mongolia or Kazakhstan or Peru. And I think those are great places and there's a great opportunity. I feel really good about about America's role in sort of the, the hash stack globally. Yeah, you're not worried about uh, the Maduro of America coming and seizing your equipment and plugging them for themselves. Exactly. At the very least, at the very least, I can sue them and jail them. All right, and then we'll, and then you think like, from a law perspective, in the United States and in North America, particularly, right? This is gonna be a North American phenomenon. Let's not 
the Kid Ourselves Canada is going to be taking part in this uh, as well. Like That's the beauty is this bleeds across state and international lines too. So you have a bit of jurisdictional arbitrage within the country too. Like, and it's, that's something that's been fascinating for me to learn as I've been on this ride with great American mining is like the different flaring regulations state to state. And that drives different incentives for different producers and different borders to, to actually engage with us. In North Dakota, they're highly incentivized to engage with us. Texas, up to this point, they haven't been. It looks like they will be more incentivized as uh, the state regulators are looking to levy like a 25% tax on flaring. Um, but like it is, that is another beauty of what's going on in the mining industry specifically is that you're able to have this, this jurisdictional and regulatory arbitrage from a state to state level, what we're doing. And I'm sure what you're experiencing too, there's different uh, sizes of producers. So you have different types of stakeholders within the energy production levels. So you have small producers, large producers, they have different incentives and drivers. And so from a, a, a Bitcoin network perspective, you couldn't ask for a better marriage with like a type of industry than the distributed energy industry across state and international and uh, corporate levels that, that really distributes the distributes the network right at the end of the day between different stakeholders. I, I think that's exactly right. And I think it, it, you know, the Bitcoin network does something really elegant and, and, uh, exciting, which is it makes the use it or lose it nature of energy production a, a huge asset. You know, where every every um, every megawatt hour generated out here that that gets consumed by the Bitcoin network is another another layer of amber that it's encasing the transaction history and the UTXO set, and so. You know, be, because of that, because of these these thermodynamic properties, the the shelling points of the Bitcoin network are are subtly, and I don't think this is talked about enough. Um, they're they're so ridiculously strong, and they're strong in excess of the ways that maybe they're they're more commonly thought of or talked about. Like, it's easy to say that you know Bitcoin transaction settlement is final, or that twenty one million is a hard cap. Then you look at the history of sunk energy costs into what has been committed to those rules, and and, and you just have a whole a whole profound brand new appreciation um, for for this thing Satoshi dreamt up. Right, and that's what makes you laugh at like sideline armchair theorists who are like, "Oh, miners are going to attack the network." It's like, do you understand the the skin that miners have in the game, and like <laughs> how much capital? they have in this game like they're like whenever like anybody's like worried about like a 51% attack 51% attack probably like the incentive is not there in my mind like the incentive is to cooperate because the margins are so low and you've sunk so much goddamn money into this not only are not only are the incentives aligned the right way to prevent that from happening the the logistics of coordination are so cumbersome when you think about just the massive size of the in, of the entire Bitcoin network at this point, and and it's only growing. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. This thing's about to get a lot bigger. Yeah, and the alarm bells that would be going off before like you would be able to, you would have such an early warning uh, before an attack, like a, a state attempting to amass fifty one percent of the network to attack it and reorg and double spend transactions. 
uh, like you, they're warning, but like you would be able to tell at the foundry level, like it was based on how much space is being leased out by Hashcash Shot Two Fifty Six producers, right? Look, there was an article today that GM is slowing production of their cars because they can't get their hands on enough semiconductor chips. Yeah, and so if GM can't buy the chips, then I don't think that you know insert government state actor here is going to be able to get their hands on more chips to to go fight against Bitcoin. Yeah. And it, like, is that their biggest priority right now? Uh, no way. They have more things to worry about, like uh, civil unrest and social incohesion across the country, at least here in America. And and in India and in yeah. Russia. And you mean like the, the list of the list of places where where mass protest um, is happening is it's only getting longer at this it's, point. It's growing, man. Yeah, whew, this is a perfect transition into the meat of the conversation I want to have for you. So I've been spreading this theory. Like, I think the energy producers that we're working with and that are going to be the, the largest Bitcoin miners at some point in the future, the next decade. And by extension, if the Overton window moves from this, everybody or the, the shelling point of money in the world moves from the U.S. dollar to a Bitcoin standard at some point in the next two, three decades, these energy producers are going to be the central banks of the future, not in the sense that they decide money supply and rates, but in the sense that they control the the distribution and facilitation of, of the movement and production of money, right? Like, And so I think, what like, comparing energy producers to the Fed, when I do that, I'm comparing the fed window to like the bitcoin mining pool level like what is the fed window now will be the bitcoin mining pool layer in the future like that is where money will be produced and distributed right now it's done via the fed to primary dealers in the future it will be bitcoin miners mining pools by extension they're going to build this whole financial stack on top of that before we get to like dreaming about that and talking about that like we just talked about the social incohesion going around like all the unrest in the world probably being driven by the former the, the fed and the way money is produced and distributed arguably right yeah so i think there's a behavioral phenomenon that's really important to understand about where we're where we are um and maybe about where we're going so the and and i think about it a lot of like you you know you don't really care how well you're doing you care how well you're doing relative to your neighbors from a you know from a, a quality of life perspective and i struggle with that because i think on the one hand that's true and I think we see that with the sort of the eat the billionaire movement that's out there right now. And the, you know, the, the tax, the wealthy, you know, we just, we just saw another proposal for, from, from, you know, dear Elizabeth Warren, who, uh, who wants to tax 2% of net worths above 50 million. You know, when you look at, let's not, let's not fool ourselves. The governments are going to print deficits into eternity for as long as they can manage it. And so two Not cents hard. on every dollar above 50 million bucks is, you know, is spitting into the ocean. And, and it's not about 
the money that gets raised with that policy. It's about sending the signal that A, what you have is not yours. You know, it's, it's only on loan because the government enabled your ability to have this wealth, number one. Number two, it is, it is paying lip service to the folks who have been under the jackboot of the Cantillon effect for the last 50 years. Yeah, it's, it's insane. It's, and you said like they're going to. Not only are going to, they have to. They literally have no other option. Other, they do have another option, which is overt default, it, jubilee-esque, but it's politically untenable. So they're just forced to go down this road that makes life shittier for everybody. And they wonder why like people are like rats in a cage just getting smaller and smaller all around the world. Like It's becoming obvious. The common man, the average Joe, has had enough and... The way the system is designed, the way the monetary system is designed specifically has pushed people to the edge and they are starting to lash out. And that's, for me at least, I don't want to say it's disconcerting or it's just, I hate that people don't recognize what the core of the problem is, right? It's like red versus blue, left versus right. And it's complete, like throw the, throw the stick this way to confuse you. Like it's not like, it's, it's just like narrative framing to, to, to make sure people are only having a type of conversation that not actually focusing on the actual problem. Um, and yeah, that's- I, you, you've had Ben hunt on who, who I disagree with lots of his, lots of his Bitcoin thoughts, but I think he's a, he's a brilliant um, social commentator and his ability Agreed. to observe the, the social dynamics um, of the world around us and of the financial world around us specifically, you know, he uses the terminology, the, the you know, the nudging, the nudging oligopoly. And I think that it's really important to, um, to highlight where, you know, when you feel angry about, you know, and and I, and I, I try to catch myself in, in this as well. Like when you feel outrage, think about your media diet. What are you eating with your eyes and your ears? What are the, what are those inputs and are those in, you know, and what are the incentives that sit behind those inputs? Um, and try to understand if those, if the incentive structure around the, the words that you're hearing or reading are the same as the incentive structure around the long-term future for you and your family. And if you can't map those incentive structures together, it's really reasonable to deeply question what you are seeing and hearing. Yeah. I, luckily, I think people are starting to work. I may be naive i may be a bit uh hopeful but it seems like people are starting to realize like all right why are we printing so much money like last year like the printer go burr meme going off people asking dave portnoy shroot bucks people asking if we could just print the money why do we even pay taxes and now bitcoin if it's price being where it is and the attention being where it is and the uh the validation from a, a certain class of people like like it or not humans are social beings and they they like to look up to people they deem as experts and so in the case of bitcoin having a fund manager institutional investors people like michael saylor jack dorsey uh russell okung even from an athlete perspective soldier boy last night talking <laughs> talking bitcoin like 
this is the stuff that the the average Joe needs to start thinking about and accepting something as something that may be around and actually acceptable. Yeah, when when I think about when I think about why Bitcoin is so important, I think about it as as bedrock, really, where you know I know I know that that I have a different you know, set of, of values and incentives and, and goals and dreams and hopes that are different than everybody else's because everybody's are different. And so when I think about a world where people are best able to self-actualize those hopes and dreams and incentives, I think about everybody needing the most stable, certain rules to build their lives on top of. And so that, you know, when I think about, you know, why things are so effective in America, it's, it is the stability of our court system. It is the stability of our democracy and our, so, our social order. For all the warts, the thing works pretty well, at least relative to, to most of the rest of the world, from, you know, from all I know. That, you know the, the, when you look at a, a structure and you think about separation of power rather than the accumulation of, of power, it's about, it's about you know, introducing decentralized principles rather than centralized principles. And not get, you know, don't, there's, you know, it's a, and, and I, I spent a lot of time now thinking about the, you know, the rule of law. Um, and it's about, you know, there's a reason there's a saying, you can't be jury and judge, jury and executioner. And that's actually a commentary on decentralization. It means that it means that putting all the power into one set of hands creates bad outcomes for everybody. And so the more that we are able to broaden the base and create stability and certainty, the better we are to realize, you know, higher quality of life. And, and, you know, and, and I do in the context of Bitcoin, I do think about it in terms of, you know, being really sensitive to the fact that, you know, that there's a lot of people out there who, um, who are just looking to, to survive till their next paycheck. We're just trying to put food on the table. We're just trying, you know, to, to get to the, to get into the, you know, into the next day. And, and, um, and it's really a subsistence, you know, type of existence. And, and, you know, my hope and and goal is that with with all of the stuff that that you you guys at Gam are working on that we at Grid are working on and that the Bitcoin community believes in, you know, we're building savings technology, and that savings technology will allow for the relief that that folks in that position today can get, so they're not in that position tomorrow. And and that you know and that you know you know Parker Lewis writes a great article called Bitcoin is for Enemies. Um, you know, I, I go further and say Bitcoin is for everyone. Right. It really is. And like, again, like pulling this back to the, the, um, not the democratization, but the liberalization, liberalization, liberation, liberation. That's the word I'm looking for of the ability to produce and distribute money. You're liberating that process from a very select few of people and opening it up to the world. Yes. Bitcoin mining is very capital intensive and it's uh, not for the weary, but compared to the Federal Reserve uh, system with 12 board members, uh, a chairman or chairwoman, uh, and, uh, five voters at the end of the day, like you have 12 chairmen, but only five vote at any given point in time and completely liberating that process of production and distribution and manipulation of interest rates to the whole world or anybody who's willing to take on the capital risk to plug in a Bitcoin miner. It's mind blowing for how 
that can level the playing field and make this a much fairer system? I go even further and say, how much money in legal fees do you think it takes to start a bank? Huh. It's impossible. It's impossible. The, the regulatory gap is so high like, or so wide that, that you, need, you, know, you need to raise tens or hundreds of millions of dollars just to pay the attorneys to get you the charter. Then you need to capitalize the goddamn thing. So you have to be like, hey, exactly. okay. and you have exactly. to be like a Bezos. You got to be like a Bezos or a Musk to do it. Like, there's probably if there's anybody you could probably start like a competing bank today. It's those guys. Obviously, we have Avanti Bank and it was Wyoming that's starting. It's a Bitcoin backed bank, but they have the 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 benefit of number one having good people like uh, Caitlin Long, but then two having the luck of of Bitcoin appreciating significantly in value over the last 12 years as well exactly and and you know that's that's you know i get i get commentary around the sort of the the one computer one vote idea that, that was in the white paper and you know well mining is so centralized and i'm like yeah i mean it it, it takes it takes startup capital but it's not like it's not like ridiculous or prohibitive um and it's all driven by the market if you've got a great power cost and you can manage a supply chain and deal with a software business and do all these things. You got every you got every you know chance to come in and and you know build a great business for yourself in Bitcoin mining. And so if it's a you know there's no regulatory capture. And I guess like that's that's a nuance um, maybe relative to where the white paper was at originally. But but I think it's I think it's super exciting that you know that the the money production of the future just comes with an outlet and a computer. Right. And if you can execute, the cash flows come almost immediately, right? It's it's pretty insane. Which is uh, Sats flows. The Sats flows. We got to start changing the uh, the terminology here. You get immediate Sats flows. Um, yeah. So let's talk about this new, like this transition, right? We get away from the Fed window, and the new Fed window becomes the mining industry, and by proxy, the mining pool industry, and you get these services. So you're already starting to begin beginning to see like what the stack will look like, right? Hash rate futures are beginning to be dabbled with. I think what really starts to incite is hash rate forward contracts, right? Like when you, when you sell hash for cash and you're, you're that, I think that is a very important primitive for the future banking stack on Bitcoin. Like I'm, I'm still trying to run through this in my mind, like what it would look like, right? Like, but you'd have, the pools being like the fed window and then you'd have these services built on top and these products built on top and that's how you would begin to to finance and and create a new financial system am i completely off base like crazy here no i want to go i want to go further with it and and start to core and not correlate but start to merge two ideas together one of them is hash rate and the other is transaction fee volumes so mm -hmm. you know the the that to me is that are the are the the commodity the true commodities of the future are going to basically look like energy hash and bitcoin and and they're all you know they're all sats denominated but they but they each come with a little bit of different risk profiles and so you can hedge them against each other and and they're all sort of interrelated and then there's a huge derivative stack that sits on top of them around transaction fees and um you know, and, and changing, you know, time forward and back options at, of different durations at different levels. And, you know, and, and eventually, 
you know, eventually that's how you end up with sort of a, a, a Bitcoin uh, reserve currency where you're able you're able to work through all of these. Um, you know, when I think I, I think the commodities um, have become pretty financialized. But the way that I think about commodities are really they're really the input functions. And so in an economy, you've got inputs and outputs and outputs are usually goods or services and inputs are commodities or labor or capital. And so when you start to think about how Bitcoin can, can function across the input stack and the output stack, it gets really interesting and starts to look a little bit more, um, you know, parallel to what we're doing today and maybe a little more achievable where I think like, you know, you say, you say Bitcoin could be the reserve asset of the future. People look at you like you've 10 heads or they look at you and say, yeah, I agree. You know, those are the two options. Um, but I think that being able to being able to break down, you know, I love I love what Ray Dalio did around sort of the, the macro and the micro credit cycles, because I think it made a part of the economy that was really hard to digest, easier to digest. And it, it's a, a half hour YouTube video called the I think the economic machine is what it was what it's titled. It's animated. It's really good. It's a really simple explainer for how credit cycles work. Um, I think we need to do similar things for the Bitcoin standard and what that can look like. And you look at, you know, inputs, which are, you know, energy, hash, you know, maybe a few other things and outputs. And, you you know, you take some other commodities, some raw materials, some, you know, whether it's a physical, a physical output or, or a, a service, and you start to map the existing economy into, into a Bitcoin standard economy and make it really clear that this is achievable um, you know, and, and, and continue to define it and continue to pave the way. Right. And once you start thinking of these, these Bitcoin native products and like Bitcoin native solutions to a lot of the problems that the traditional financial world solves right now. And like, like just thinking like the CME Bitcoin futures contracts, like, I think that's going to get completely wiped out by like Bitcoin native stuff. Like, so taking away from mining and pushing it to like DLCs uh, on Lightning Network when they're possible and when they're widespread, right? Like the short bits contract for difference blew my mind. Like the the ability for one side of a contract to go long Bitcoin price exposure and the other side to uh, lock in a stable USD value um of in bitcoin and basically you just in that dlc you have sats moving around to each party uh based off of what's going on with the price of bitcoin if it's going up the person who's looking to keep a stable value gets less sats and the one that's long bitcoin gets more sats it's going down the opposite but that's all you don't have to interact with anything outside of bitcoin to get that financial product and it's just like mind-blowing yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think that I think that financial engineering around Bitcoin and especially I agree with you, I think I think the Bitcoin native functionality um, is just super exciting. And, you know, and, and that's what that's what I try to keep in mind when I think about sort of what um, what's possible, uh, you know, the think about the Internet. Think about the Internet when, you know, when it was when it was like email and a couple of indexed web pages and you know, a few things here and there and and 
you know, imagine if you thought that you could order an, a, a black car to your house from your phone. I remember the first, it's actually a funny story. I remember the first Uber I ordered in Chicago. I was like the second or third city that got it. There's actually a Tesla that showed up, and I was like, "Holy <laughs> shit! What the hell is going on here?" It blew my mind. Like, not only one that I could order a taxi from my phone, but that like a fucking Tesla showed up. I thought that was like the norm. I thought Uber was just like a, a fleet of Teslas. The like when I was a kid, I would take I would you know did not grow up taking taxis in the city. We would take we would take a car service once a year to the airport to go visit my grandparents. That was my how I interacted with car services for 12 or 13 years. And then all of us, uh, actually maybe more like 16, 17, 18 years. And then all of a sudden, you press a button on your phone, they show up at your house, and they're cheaper than a taxi. They got water waiting for you in the back. They know where you're it, going. You don't even have to tell them. Exactly, and that's what, and you know, and and I want to I want to mention one other thing that that I love I love the Uber example. I think that they're such a powerful mental model for what an addressable market looks like when a better product shows up. So, the number of people who took who took taxi cabs before Uber showed up was way less. Way more people use taxis today because there's a better product. The same thing is going to happen, and I think I think of gold basically as taxis and I think of Bitcoin, you know, in this example as, as Uber, like there's a lot of people who have really sophisticated and exciting portfolios that don't allocate to gold that are going to take one look at Bitcoin and say, fuck yeah. Why do you think that? Because it, it has, it has incredibly, incredibly upgraded store value properties. So fixed supply. Starting with that, I can always divide my Bitcoin divided by 21 million and I know how much I have. That's it. That the, the ability to just on your on a calculator, divide your sats by the total network at, at maximum circulating supply sats. That very simple ability is so powerful. And and being able to offer that degree of certainty is so powerful. Um, because then you start to be able to say, well, I understand how to price my time. I understand how to price opportunity costs. I understand how to use a time machine that takes value today and sends it into the future. And it works. Guess what? If I want to send some of that value to the complete other side of the world right now, done like immediately and it works and i don't and i don't have to pay anyone other than other than us for mining <laughs> fees. hey maybe you could do some uh what is it out of band payments too hey like uh, here's some here's some cuck bucks why don't you get my my thing in there for that's mm -hmm. if you're at the pool level that's it we, <laughs> we could have a stratum v2 conversation down the line but that was shout out to kareem fell me for for that piece of derabit last week on stratum v2 so good he's the so sharp yeah, the out-of-band payments is something I always forget about. That, like some pools offer it. That is pretty pretty bullshit, especially for us, right? It's like, yeah. Especially for contributing to a pool. No, but exactly. it is in terms of <laughs> going back going back it, to total it's, addressable it, market. It's, and, so, it's such an upgrade. You know, right? like, and, and you know, lo love me some gold bugs culturally. But I think they're going to come around eventually. Um, they're going to have to. Yeah. But, but Bitcoin is such a massive feature upgrade 
you know, forget the forget the geopolitical, forget the macroeconomic, just on a, on what can the tech do? It's so much better than what gold does. And so the, the number of people who who are maybe gold curious will be Bitcoin obsessed. Man, and like, and it is the nature of this podcast, the website, and just forcing me to to interact with the technology and test lightning network specifically the lightning network is so goddamn beautiful and it's like magic like people just streaming me 10 sat 10 cents worth of sats like randomly like people listen to my pot even less people like pay 10 sats a minute to listen to this podcast on finks they're doing it right now there's somebody sending me 10 sats which is like three tenths of a penny right now like that in and of itself is something that could never be done before. You can never do that with Visa, Mastercard, Swift transfer wise. Good luck. Like that. Like you're, it's a better product. It enables things that have never been possible before. Exactly, and and that's what's so exciting. Like like you know, I I I'm so hesitant to try to project out into the future what I think will happen because I think that the emergent properties of networks are are much smarter. And more effective um, than like my, than whatever whatever small amount of futurism I'm capable of, and so my job like I, I really I, I try to break the world down into things that I think will never change and things that I think will always change, um, and and try to only interact with those things at least from a financial perspective because um, everything in the middle like the the whether it's the market or the decentralized network or the hive mind or the Twitter sphere or whatever, that, that collective intelligence is just so much better than me at figuring out a better answer. Well, and like, so like, if we're going to get into a clubhouse conversation now too, because I was a clubhouse earlier today and like somebody, some, somebody's like, oh, I don't know if Bitcoin will ever be the reserve currency. Like it's going to take a while. I think this is going to happen faster than people can even like, I think, like, especially if you get the energy industry linked up to it, like, at some point, like, it's going to click, like, why am I ever converting this to dollars? Like, just, like, hold the Bitcoin, we'll start. That's how you start the mining pool, the miners being the new Fed window. Like, they just refuse to convert to dollars because they don't want to. And then you start going from there, and they, they start trading goods for sats. Uh, but, like, bringing this back to Clubhouse, that... Like the the amount of knowledge being spread on that app, particularly like it has been incredibly insane to watch over the last few weeks. Particularly, it's it's like the the cyber hornets have attacked that app and are just <laughs> like we were fucking me and you were talking to Soldier Boy about Bitcoin last night. Like what the fuck? It's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like really really crazy. Um, I wanna I wanna pause you on the previous point, which is you know when when people are skeptical and listen like. Bitcoin is not the obvious winner. I, it, this is we are still. This is still an experiment. This is still, you know, something that is new. It, it's what I've bet on, you know, both professionally and, and financially. I think it's obvious, you know? man. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> but tell. but I the but the 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 counter to me though is like, do you know anyone who would argue if you said that the internet is the reserve, the reserve information economy. It's the, it's the, it's the information settlement layer. Everybody will be like, yeah, duh. I do everything on the internet. All of my interactions with information 
are broadly internet-based. Your iMessage, if you're on an iPhone, goes over the internet. Texting goes, you know, telecom is internet adjacent. It uses the same rails. Twitter, Facebook, email, Slack, any CRM product you use, any remote, you know, GitHub, code, everything that touches information is actually just getting settled by TCP IP. Yeah. And so the idea that we can have a global, um, a global upgrade to a network like that should, should not feel like out of scope in my opinion. No, it definitely should, especially it's happened in our lives. I fucking remember taking AOL out of the back of a Backstreet Boys Millennium album and downloading it for my parents when I was like seven or eight years old. Like, and that, like that, like that walled garden internet experience has gotten to where it is today, where I'm fucking teleconferencing you from hundreds of miles away. We're recording it. We're going to post it to the internet. It's going to get distributed to the world. Like that happened real fast. And like that, like, and again, thinking about exponentials and the pace of innovation, like people are like, oh, Bitcoin will probably follow the same trajectory that the internet did. It's like, no, Bitcoin's being built out on the internet. Like we have the internet that like expedites everything and like makes this process that much faster. I think exactly. this is going to happen much faster than people realize. Well, and, you know, the example, so like my, my dad is always sort of my, um, my base case for like how well is Bitcoin doing? Because he's you know, he's excited about it. He loves it. He, you know, he, he, he's not a, he's not a naysayer by any stretch, but he's a healthy skeptic for sort of the, the real upside cases for what this can be. So he's a, he's very confident that Bitcoin will be a $10 trillion asset class. He does not understand. I think the last six, the last six to 12 months have been really good for him and his orange pill. Um, But, but like, but he did not, until COVID, I think he did not see the two hundred trillion dollar case for Bitcoin, um, and I think he does now. And I think that this is, you know, this is one of those um, examples that I. And so I'm constantly, you know, testing my sort of mental models on him to see what works and what doesn't for for his demographic. Um, and one that is like super compelling is is Tesla, and I know Tesla has its own, you know. Has, has its own community around it. But mm-hmm. Tesla is 10 times bigger than like Ford. It's like just as big as like all the major car companies combined, right? Yeah. So the idea that you can invent something new that's that, you know, similarly to, you know, technology enabled. So I think of, I think of um, Bitcoin miners as basically technology enabled energy producers. So I think that, you know, we have the ability to, to 10x traditional energy producers or or enable traditional energy producers to 10x themselves um super super easily where just the example between you know what's the difference between you know ford and and tesla is just one of these one of these leaned in to these enormous tailwinds that are native to the things they were already doing and and producing and they were able to they were able to lap the competition 10 times over it's it's the same thing with with the broader you know S and P five hundred. What of the top twenty five companies ten or twenty years ago were not internet companies? Big percentage today, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Salesforce. You know 
pick, you know, pick your, pick your, your tier. It's 80 to 90 plus percent internet native businesses. Airbnb went public at a hundred billion dollars. Alibaba, huge, huge IPO. You know, the, these companies are being built faster than ever. They're bigger than ever. They play more of an active role in society more than ever. And they deliver more value. Why? Because they're tech enabled. They're, you know, the same way that, that when John Rockefeller started digging around in, North, in Northwestern Pennsylvania and found oil, nobody else wanted to go hunt for whales to cut open their skulls to put oil in lamps. Ah, oh, that was so much fun though. You know, it's the, it's the same, to me, it's the same analogy. If you looked at where CapEx was being spent prior to the discovery of the ability to refine kerosene, people were capitalizing shipbuilding to go out to sea, to go hunt for whales, which was not a safe thing to be doing, killing whales to, to cut their skulls open to light and heat their homes. Like, think about how ridiculous I sound. And now... Think about if I built a car that was not software native. It's yeah. going to sound just as ridiculous. Yeah, those those whale skull hunters were were the innovators of their day, right? The first guy <laughs> to figure out that you could turn like whale blubber into to kerosene. It's like, oh, this dude's a fucking genius, the Henry Ford of his time. Exactly. And then John Rockefeller digs in his backyard and figures out how to do it. Right. Well, and then like. It's crazy because like, like the piece that we put out for Gan this week that Austin and I wrote, like it really highlights how that opportunity cost shift. You don't have to, for at least what we're doing in the oil fields. Like now, the the questions a producer would ask themselves when they were IPing a well is like, all right, uh, do, how many LNG units do we need? How many how many flares do we need? Uh, are we going to pipe this gas to market? If we're not going to pipe it, are we going to vent it? Like, what's that? get due to our carbon credit one variable being entered into the equation now in the form of bitcoin mining changes the opportunity cost and that decision making process drastically like you're talking about you don't need to build pipelines that are 100 miles long anymore uh, you don't need to invest in lg units you don't need to flare that you can literally plug in these bitcoin miners like you said it's adding value via technology like you can go to our gas to hash calculator the data is real-time data these people are getting 15x the value out of their gas by mining bitcoin with it than doing any of the other things i just mentioned and most of the time exactly. especially if they're flaring it they're losing money so the ability to turn that previous drag on your balance sheet into a significant revenue driver is just going to thrust this industry into a whole new paradigm that like it, it, like we've been mentioning you can't even fathom what's going to happen we have ideas. Exactly. We think it's going to go to a certain direction, but we really don't know at the end of the day. Yeah, uh, I, I am. I remain, you know, I remain recklessly bullish on what this is going to do for, you know, I think that a, 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 a technology enabled business eats the face off of the previous generation of businesses that refuse to, to upgrade and integrate. We've seen this story, you know, this shouldn't feel new. We've seen it play out with the internet. We've seen it play out in, in, in energy markets previously. We've seen it, you know, even just, you know, simple things like, you know, and, and I, I love the historical examples. I'm, I'm such a, I'm such a, a, a nerd about it all, but like the Erie Canal, huh. we dug a trench from 
Lake Erie to the Hudson River. And that's why New York is one of the dominant centers for commerce and boat and boat building and, and why New England was such a center for boat building historically. Like, we've seen this playbook. It just looks new now. Right. And, like, so we've seen that playbook. And then arguably, we've strayed a little bit from that playbook due to the misallocation of capital enabled by the monetary system that we're able. And so, like this transition to like a Bitcoin standard, like everything we've been talking about just gets taken to a whole new level because you're not allocating capital as inefficiently as you previously would have. It's like, again, like attacking it from all angles. You have a tech innovation that induces a sound monetary system that induces a reduction in misallocation of capital, like efficiency, 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 uh, like productivity gain, productivity gain, productivity gain, we can't even fathom where this is going, freaks. You are at the beginning of something, like, massive. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I'm, I'm obsessed with Eric Weinstein. Um, he does the portal. You know, again, you know, trends towards the shitcoinery makes me a little uncomfortable. But, you know, but the but the deep academia of his thinking and the, you know, the structured nature of his thinking... Um, is so exciting and and he has a term he has a term um for higher education that i've expanded uh which is like you know he, he his thought is that like higher education is basically a ponzi scheme and you've got a professor you got grad students grad students want to be professors to go find more grad students to work for them and so there's your pyramid i go further and say that the cantillon effect creates the ponzification of our economy and and the and the the pyramid becomes the central bank the injection points the injection points go and and accrue asset ownership the and then rinse and repeat meanwhile there's more and more and more friction for everybody else to get access to asset ownership and asset ownership becomes the the you know the the top tiers of the pyramid and everybody else is trying to scramble to buy into these because if you don't own assets, you get inflated to zero over time otherwise. And so there's this, there becomes this pernicious forced buying function within the economy that, that basically pays the higher levels in the MLM while you try to create a layer below you, which are the not asset owners who are trying to become asset owners. And so this ponzification in our economy distorts all of these other things and, and, what happens over time and is what's so dangerous about this, this type of rot is you stop tech enabling the next round of businesses. You stop in, you know, innovating, you know, anybody look outside and see any flying cars recently? Nope. That's what we were promised. You know, you, we grew up, you know, our, our parents grew up watching the Jetsons and they didn't get any of that. And so what are we doing now to make sure that the incentive structure for participating in the future of our economy leads with longevity, proper time preferences, innovation, tech-enabled businesses, fairness, access. You know, the, the values that we hold so dear can get realized. It's available. We've got this. It's possible, and it's right in front of us, right? Like, one of my favorite examples to like point out this pontification or like this 
more specifically like the, the misallocation of capital that literally that leads to terrible externalities and like it completely perturbs the opportunity cost. Like my favorite example is having lived in Chicago for five years, six years almost and gone through those winters. And in the winter, obviously it snows a lot. They salt the roads a lot. They plow the roads a lot and like living there, like potholes galore all over the city of Chicago and come spring when the, the snow melts away and uh, the ice melts away and it's time to fix the roads there's potholes everywhere, and it like, came to be known, to me at least, and, like, I think it was more widely known to, to native Chicagoans, but they were, it was basically a jobs program where they were just like wanted the spring construction jobs to be there every year, so they used like a mid-grade gravel to repave the roads, knowing that in the winter, like when it, it got snowed on and salted and plowed, it would get beat up, and you'd have to... And, you'd have to pay them again in the next spring and summer. And like thinking like how much capital is misallocated from that one process alone is like mind blowing, right? Like you, you just, you're wasting money on redoing it every year, right? Like with the potholes come broken tires, broken bumpers that cost those individuals in those cars, to, to to have to pay that it's a cost on them like when you're doing construction in the spring it causes traffic that wastes time like that that economic value isn't calculated either like thinking about how much value just can be saved not even like created uh, by by thinking more long term and thinking harder about the opportunity cost and doing things that will make sure the roads don't need to be paved every every year use the high grade gravel so you have to do it once a decade, if that is mind-boggling. And 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 what underpins all of that is having an incentive structure on the individual level that promotes savings and rewards savings. Because the reason that you need that that you know that forced sort of revenue stream for the construction company every year is because the pay that everybody takes home, the incentive structure right now is to consume it, right? If the incentive structure becomes to save it and you're able to actually save your way into retirement, you don't need to be on the hamster wheel anymore. Think about the possibilities, freaks. Makes you angry when you think about it, right? It's like, why are we this stupid? How to get this bad? It's cyclical, right? Like uh, human society goes through this all the time and that's, another heady like conversation to have like does bitcoin break this cycle um does the the nature of consensus in this strip distributed s system and the inability to change the 21 million supply cap throw a wrench in the system that perturbs that cycle um moving forward i don't know i go back and forth do you have any thoughts on that so I think from first principles, really, what's so exciting about Bitcoin and, and what's truly brand new, because there's truly a brand new component to it that I think, you know, what are, what are we, 13 years in, um, we lose sight of maybe now, but provable scarcity is an innovation. It's a, and, and more than that, it's an invention. We've, we, this was something that had not been invented before 
um, and now it exists. And so, you know, I love, I love what you say, which is a, yeah, yeah. No, I was just going to say the wheel never exists. Anything about how much that changed. Exactly. So, so like when, when I think about Bitcoin, I try to keep in mind the fact that it is a brand new invention. And so brand new things get to happen now. And Bitcoin happens to us. We don't happen to Bitcoin. Right. So, you know, so marrying those two ideas together, you know, there are emergent behaviors at the societal and global and multinational level that will become available to us because something new got invented. Um, you know, thing, you know, uh, there's, there's lots of other times that we've seen this, um, you know, whether it's, whether it's, you know, the combustion engine or, you know, you know, pick, pick your big, you know, societal shaping innovation. I think that there's, there's a, a spectrum to how big those can be. You know, when I think, when I think about the two most important things around productivity at the international level, I think energy and money are the two rails that matter the most. And so that's an argument for it being a cycle breaking you know, invention, you know, I'm conflicted. You're, combi- you're combining them, right? It's yes. to energy and money. Like we're creating an energy currency. That's the beauty of proof of work, right? Like you can literally look at the hash rate and the difficulty target at any given point in time and ballpark how much energy is being expended into this network. It, exactly. It, it is the, you know, this is the, this is the merging of the digital world and the physical world and governing and governing money based on the laws of thermodynamics. That is so, it's just so exciting. Uh, you know, we've never had this before. We have it now. What can happen is, you know, is this bound, you know, boundless frontier. You know, I, I hear all the time and think all the time about sort of the the societal challenge of not having a great new frontier. Um, and that, you know, we, you know, we human beings thrive when there is a frontier space to be pressing up against. And that's how we're designed. Um, and I think about, you know, the frontier space that Bitcoin can introduce to us um, and has introduced to us. And it's, it's just, it's just so cool. It's just so exciting. Right. It's just getting more people to come explore that frontier with us. And I think we're winning. I mean, again, going back to Clubhouse, like how many orange pills are being doled out on that app alone? Like the ability for people to team up in that app and you know, literally a thousand people listening to you. I mean, obviously there's billions of people on earth, but one man at a time, I believe the network effects of educating uh, on that app are, are going to be profound. Um, I don't know. Am I too bullish on Clubhouse? What do you think? I think you're not bullish enough. <laughs> Frankly, why do, you say that? why do you say that? I think that it is the it is the most effective onboarding tool I've ever seen to an idea. Right, right. It's insane, man. It's insane, and I don't want to like fall into like the 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 fanboy club of like new social network. No, from a human to human onboarding capability, like I have never seen something where you are able to like impart ideas with depth and intimacy and effectiveness as quickly and, and, and as well as, as what they've built. 
right? And the, like the diversity of, of thought and perspective that is offered is insane. Like, so if I come up short somewhere in an explanation, somebody can hop in right behind me and fill in the holes, right? Like, yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, as something I didn't appreciate until we got into Clubhouse um, was how unbelievably clear and powerful the Bitcoin shelling points are. There are people all over the planet who I've never interacted with or spent any time with and likely never will spend any time with or interact with who have 90 plus percent overlapping first principle values with me and think the same things about Bitcoin as me. And I will never need to meet them. And we are entirely coordinated around realizing this future together. Right. That's crazy. It's beautiful, man. It's fucking beautiful. Things are going to get weird freaks in a good way, in a good way. This is like, I'm so bullish on the future. I know it's 2021. We just had 2020. We got riots going on over the world. This is just, this is the storm before the calm. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's the darkest before the dawn moment. Like we have the tools to make this world better. Bitcoin certainly helps, I think, considerably more than anything else. And it's happening. Like I, I could say that because I see it happening. I see it. like we have engineers in the Bakken right now plugging in mining containers. You are building out infrastructure as well at the moment from what I understand. Like it's happening. It's here. It's possible. It enables something brand new. We can't fathom what it's going to do, but people are tinkering with it and it is going to, to happen. There's no stopping it now. Like the incentives of integrating this like what everybody thinks about like state attackers and maybe like all the crazy adversarial thinkers going to throw shit at me and be like, Oh, Marty, you're, you're too naive. You're too optimistic, but the incentives are too fucking strong. Like again, the, the amount of money that these energy producers alone will be able to make from integrating Bitcoin mining into their operations and creating that financial stack on top of their mining operations is considerable it's material i think if you're thinking from a natural national security perspective and energy independence perspective like nothing helps us get to a more secure energy independent country not even just like any country if any country wants to be energy secure like integrating this stuff makes that possible exactly and again, it, for me, it comes back to this idea that we have never had something provably scarce. And now we do. And we don't understand yet what it's going to take to get your hands on some of this stuff at, at the individual level, at the high net worth level, at the, at the, you know, pick your institutional capital level, at the nation state level. There are only 21 million of these things. And the ability to get your hands on them will become increasingly challenging, both, both in terms of what you got to pay for it, also in terms of the logistics of actually getting it and getting, you know, getting it secured and validating the transaction with your own node and running all sort of the, sort of the basic, um, you know, privacy, you know, operate, you know, op I say operating system is sort of a broad catch all, but like your, your, 
running a node, interacting with Lightning, securing your own, you know, securing your own key, securing your own coin, all of sort of the basic Bitcoin OS, actually getting that accomplished with any kind of significant, um, significant size and scale in the future is going to be harder. And so the way you do that, and, and part of the reason why I'm ridiculous, you know, I'm, I'm, this is as much, as much talking my own book as I'm willing to do, you know, I think that, that, you know, the demand for ownership and mining businesses in the future is going to be huge. Right. It's like, it's, it's hilarious too, isn't it? Because mining's always been this, oh, don't, don't mine. You're not going to want to mine, but it's like literally going to be at some point in the next decade or two, the only way to, to actually like access considerable amounts of Bitcoin. <laughs> this is, this is one of my pet theories. This is absolutely <laughs> like, one of my pet theories. It's going like, to completely shift. It's like, oh fuck, I should have been mining. Like, uh. it's the, it's the only, you know, it, that's the real, that's the real Satoshi spigot. Right. It's like, ah, uh, got to get your sats flow freaks. Mining makes it possible. Like, and that like, and then mine, like, ah, uh, we could go on for hours. I don't have hours at bedtime and, and story time and dinner time soon. But before we get to all that, <laughs> like, sats flow, where was I going with that? Um, God, I completely well, but dropped the, out this is head. this is the this is the the sort of you know I I think of this sort of as the as the big one of the Bitcoin singularities that's going to be out there, which is that the availability of Bitcoin supply. And the and the sort of I, I hesitate to use this term, but like valuation model for mining access are going to become sort of bedrock foundational ideas in financial markets of the future, where yeah. the, the only way to get guaranteed access to future Bitcoin is to own is to directly own mining capabilities. Yeah, completely agree. And where and I, that's I, a flywheel. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And like it's going to get so competitive, right? And like again, we're talking—we already talked about how thin the margins are. Like it's going to drive creativity and innovation to levels again that we can't fathom. But like miners are going to be highly incentivized, like to keep as many sats out of their sats flow as possible. Uh, and so they're going to use that, like, like in the like we already have ideas of using the waste heat of the containers to to create supplementary revenue streams. Like, exactly. I'll just leave, I'll just leave it at that. I'll just leave it at that. Like, uh, revenue outside the block reward that allows you to hold on to as many sats as possible. I'll leave it at that. Yep. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's utilizing the intrinsic properties of the business to diversify across revenue streams and continuing to do whether that, you know, imagine your, imagine your work, you know, you build a solar, a solar plant that's, um, just for Bitcoin mining. And you're able to generate a bunch of, re of uh, renewable energy credits as part of that. All of a sudden, you get to monetize the renewable energy credits, and you get to monetize the Bitcoin mining, and you get to monetize the energy. If there's if there's a bidder who's willing to bid more Sats than your mining revenues for the energy, now they're competing for it, and you're and you're able to to start to build the infrastructure base of the future and the commodity marketplaces of the future, and. And that's how we get to these positive sum environments when we're all innovating together and thinking about about these businesses with a new lens because there's a new tool in the tool belt. Imagine trying to build a house with a screwdriver and then someone shows up with a nail gun. <laughs> right. So, that's oh. what just happens. Oh. 
Harry, we're gonna, have many, we're gonna have many of these conversations. I'm very bullish. I'm always <laughs> bullish after speaking with you. Again, I can't wait till we meet can meet again at a diner in person. Are you gonna Bitcoin twenty twenty one? Uh I haven't planned it yet, but I'm I'm yes. As of now, I, you you just you just convinced me. I'm in. My Miami beginning of June, why not, right? It's, it sounds, uh, we can make that happen. Yeah, yeah it doesn't sound like a bad time. Um dude, it's always a pleasure. Today was a particular pleasure. It was. I love these conversations. I mean, I love that we're like both on this mining tip too, because we can bounce <laughs> these ideas. Like if we thought bouncing ideas off each other before we were in this space was cool, like right now, like it's it's taken to like a whole nother level. So, thank yeah. you for for being a backboard for me to bounce these ideas off of. It's always uh, always fun. I, you know, I can I can honestly say I I owe you a debt of gratitude getting into into this whole industry the, the way that it worked out like i i lean on your brain and your expertise you know especially in those early days like i would not have made it um without you and, and without sort of the the gratitude the, the graciousness and kindness to to come have breakfast with me all the time oh stop it it's selfish it's selfish <laughs> my wife doesn't want to talk bitcoin at me so i have to go eat breakfast with people who want to do it no i mean the feeling is mutual i think I mean, I've learned just as much from you as, as you probably even more from you than you've learned from me. So it's a feel, the feeling is mutual. I'm pumped to see where you are right now and very excited to see where we are, uh, in the future. Um, where can the freaks find out more about you or do you have a final thought for the freaks as well? Uh, final thoughts for the freaks. Number one is long Bitcoiners like uh, this is you know we we come from all walks of life we look we look different we sound different uh we smell different for sure and and you know there I have never been part of a community like this um and it's just it's ridiculously special the mental horsepower is is unbelievable and um and I am you know I'm humbled you know time and time and time again to be part of a community like this um, you know, the, the, the best places to find me these days are, are Twitter and clubhouse, um, Harry underscore Sudok at both. Uh, and you know, and like the DMS are always open, you know, you want to talk mining, you got questions, whatever, you know, please, you know, don't be, don't be a stranger you know, too many, too many Bitcoiners have opened their DMS to me. And, and so I must do the same. <laughs> well, go check him out. Freaks again, one of my favorite people to speak Bitcoin with. Harry, until next time. I mean, I'll see you on Clubhouse in a few hours. We got the Bitcoin like Wednesday meetup. But <laughs> until next time on TFTC, um, thank you. Awesome, I appreciate you, Marty. Thank you. That's all we got this week. This week, uh, this episode freaks. Peace and love. Take